Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Today we're going to look at the idea that true ministry is not the result of our efforts. And I want to say this carefully because there's a two-fold two aspect here. It's not the result of our efforts. It is a result of our surrender, but I want to even be more specific than that. It's really a result of his surrender. Now, what in the world do we mean by that? Well, hang on. I, I had a friend, uh, I have a friend, Eric Bledsoe. He came a couple years ago, led uh, some of the music. We had... Um, had him come, and I think David had just gotten here, and so they did a duet together. It was great. Helped with the choir. He's just a neat guy. He does our camp over in Chattanooga each year. I guess for the last six, seven years, something like that. And he was sharing to the students the one day, and I thought this was so appropriate because we talk about surrender all the time. And he said, you know, every, in every culture, when you put your hands up in war, that's the idea or the picture that you're giving up, you're surrendering. You're surrendering. It doesn't matter. You don't have to say anything. You, you just put your hands up and there's an immediate recognition that an individual is in effect laying down their arms, laying down their desire to fight and putting up their hands gives the indication that they're laying those things down and they are surrendering. They're submitting. See, when we come to Christ, the, the idea is that we put up our hands and we say, Lord, it's all about you. It's about what you want in my life. It's about what you are able to do. It's about where you're leading and why you're leading is up to you. And we just want to follow you. We give up our will. We lay that down. We're not going to fight you anymore. We're not going to come against you anymore. But rather, we're going to submit to you. We're going to surrender to you. And the reason we talk about the Lord's surrender is because what did the Lord do for us? He went to the cross. I, I love that picture in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, hey, I, I could call 10,000 angels to come to my rescue immediately. Put your sword up, Peter. What did he do? He, he laid his life down for us. And if it's not for the Lord doing that, we would never know how to surrender. And the truth of the matter is, we would never surrender. We need the Lord in us to teach us what it means to walk with him in a way where we're saying yes to him as he said yes to the Father. True ministry is not the result of our efforts it's not that there's not effort involved. <laughs> I love Paul's statement, right? I worked harder than all the rest of them. He's talking about the apostles. I worked harder than all the rest of them, but not I. What does he say? The grace of Christ, what? In me. He's not saying that there's not work involved. What he's saying is that the Lord is the one that gives us the energy and the strength in order to walk in what it is that he's called us into so that as we're following him, as we're saying yes to him, as we're learning from him what it means to surrender, that we are empowered to do the very things that he calls us into. It's not our efforts per se, but rather it's out of surrendering and it's out of ultimately his surrender. 
Let me give you some thoughts on this because this is a, oh, this is so opposite the way we think. It's opposite the way we're trained. It's opposite the way our flesh is. Um, it's opposite everything. You know, we're taught as Americans when we see a problem, do something about it, go fix it. And I don't want to throw a baby out with bathwater. If you've got a leaky faucet, fix the doggone thing, right? But what we're talking about here are spiritual issues that if it's not for the Lord, we wouldn't even recognize, much less know what to do with them. And so we've got to learn to go to the Lord first. Our absolute first response to things ought to be, Lord, what do you want? What does your word say? How are you leading in this? What are you trying to teach us in this? How is it that you have allowed this in our lives and it's been filtered through your hands? We know that you're going to bring good out of it because you're always working for our good. You're going to conform us to your image as we yield to you. So in the midst of it, how are we learning to trust and walk with God? How are we learning to yield? Because that's the issue. When, when we begin to do ministry out of our effort, let me give you four pictures of what tends to happen. And the reason I can tell you this is because I've done every one of them. So I'm not shooting at anybody. I'm not pointing a finger without three coming right back at me, okay? I've done... <laughs> I've done everyone. I can remember my father-in-law saying, you know, if, if there's one thing I've been successful at, it's failure. And I'll tell you, in, in so many ways, that's true for our, our lives, our walk with the Lord. We, we trip and stumble, and we just land flat on our face. It's like my little puppy, you know. He, he can't jump up on the couch yet. And our older dog is able to get away from him by jumping up on the couch. And he just does the, the leapfrog thing and boom, boom, up on the couch. There he is. And our little puppy's just looking up at him like, come on, come on, come on. And he wants to get at him. Well, t last night, he goes booking at the couch. Bennett jumps up on the couch, and Brinkley's left. And so Brinkley gave it all that he was worth, and boom, right into the face of the couch, bounced off three feet. And there he is laying on the ground. And he looks back up, and he goes back at it again, you know. Sometimes we, we got to learn by experience, and sometimes our experience is that we failed a whole lot of times until we come to the realization of something in order to grow in Christ. Amen? <laughs> We're puppies for Jesus, right? <laughs> One of the things that we do is um, we put confidence in the flesh. We put confidence in the flesh. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 and following. Philippians 3, 1. Paul's writing this, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again. It is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and then listen to this, and put no confidence in the flesh. We don't put any confidence in our supposed ability. We walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. We walk according to His power, not our own strength. We don't put any confidence in what we have done, think that we can do, or should be doing. We put confidence in the Spirit of God, and we learn to walk with Him in order to be empowered by Him. And Paul goes on, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more 
circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law. In other words, when you look at the law and you look at the facade of the law, I fit it. Nobody could look at me from the exterior and say there wasn't something that I was doing according to the law. It's incredible. What does he say? He was found blameless. But then he goes on, he says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. (laughs) What a beautiful truth. We don't put confidence in the flesh. That's That's the foundation of this. We don't trust our flesh. We don't trust our mind. We don't trust who we are. The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? We trust the Lord. We trust his word. And we learn to walk in submission and surrendering to him in order to follow him and what it is that he wants to do. So foundational to all of this is the reality that we put no confidence. We're not persuaded by the flesh. We're persuaded by the Lord and the Spirit of God. We begin to think that our service is by our strength. We're in a bad place, right? Our energy to accomplish the work. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 says that he would grant you, Paul's praying for the Ephesian believers, he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit, meaning by the means of his spirit, where? In the inner man, the very essence of who we are, so that for this purpose, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. And he goes on to talk about the love of Christ, understanding how much God loves us. But here what he's saying is that you would be strengthened with power by the means of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. Now he's writing to believers so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's, he's not saying you aren't believers and you need to be believers. What he's saying is you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are believed. That's a done, you, you are believers. That's a done deal. But now the question is, how are you walking with him? How are you yielding to him? And this picture is very clear. It is the idea of the rooms of your heart and whether the Lord Jesus Christ has made himself home, at home, within those rooms, right? There's certain closets in our house. There's certain drawers that if you come over to visit, we're probably not going to open it up and say, oh, look at, look at this one. Look at there. There are certain things about our lives that maybe when the Lord goes to look that we're not so comfortable with that. And what Paul's simply saying is he's praying for them that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that, for this purpose, Christ would be comfortable in every room of your heart through faith. He can go into every room of your heart and he's comfortable there. He owns it. The question is, is he at home? by his strength, folks. It's by his power. I know Philippians 4.13 is familiar to you. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? Through him. You can't cut that one. By the means of Christ. 
by the means of the Spirit of Christ who dwells within us. When we start to depend upon our own efforts, our own strength, we have already missed the boat. We've already gotten off track. We're already not in alignment, as Tim talked about. We're off track. And we've got to get back to the basics that it's according to his strength. It's according to what he can do, not us. It's not by our effort. Colossians 1 Verses 10 through 11 says this, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. What a beautiful truth. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. When we get off track, we begin to focus in on what we can do. It's in our strength. It's in our ability. And we've immediately gotten off track. We're immediately out of alignment. Well, when we begin to depend on our own efforts, we also, secondly, begin to think that our service is by our strategies, what we think we can do, what we think is the best way to go. 1 Corinthians 3.18, Paul writes, he says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. (laughs) Isn't that great? I'm telling you, I get so many emails about how to do church. It's incredible. This ministry says, oh, you need our help. You need this. You need that. You need the other thing. And I'm not throwing programs out. I'm not even throwing the ideas of those programs out. I'm not saying that some of those things aren't valid and perhaps would be useful to us. The question is, is there a fundamental acknowledgement that first and foremost, we need to trust the Lord? We need Him. Or do we think that we're so wise that we can figure this out? And Paul says, if you think you're wise, you better become foolish so that you can actually really become wise. Incredible. In other words, acknowledge to God that he alone is wise and that we need his wisdom. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul writes, As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Deceitful methodologies. I love that story I believe it was Chuck Swindoll that got up and said, you know, the problem with our programs, he was speaking to a group of pastors and leaders, he said, the problem with our programs is they work. Wow. Think about that. We can program God right out of everything. Program him right out. This plus this plus this equals this. This will be the result if we just do this correct right on down the line. Folks, when we begin to depend upon our effort, when we begin to depend upon our thinking, our strategies, we begin to depend upon what we can come up with, we've lost something. We've lost something. When we begin to compare our ministries with others or other people, (laughs) this is always a good one. I love the story about the guy who uh, was in California as a pastor, and he was just a couple blocks down from John MacArthur his church. And it was a small church. So everybody was always talk, talk, comparing his ministry to John MacArthur's. 
And he wrote a book about it. It's incredible. Can you imagine? I mean, that'd be tough. That'd be tough. Well, we're seeing God at work. They got 10,000 people. We got 50 or whatever it was, you know. We, we start to all of a sudden compare ourselves with other people and other ministries. And that becomes fleshly, or it certainly can be. I'm not saying we can't learn from others. I've gone to Chuck Swindoll's church. I've gone to Gene Getz's church. I've gone to different places. And I think that's important. We don't want to get so insulated that we think we know best and we can't learn from anybody else. That's, that's pretty carnal. But the reality of it is it's first and foremost got to be from the Lord. Amen? Galatians 6.3 says this, If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Starts with the right attitude about who we are in Christ. And that starts with a reality of who Christ is. And if we think we are something when we're actually nothing, wow, what a bad place to be. See, ministry is not a result of our effort. It's not a result of our thinking or what we can come up with. It's not a result of our strength and our strategies. It's certainly not a result of our standing It's not in the sense of, well, look at us, we're way better than them because, and we put all these different matrix into place. No, no, folks, humility, humility, walking with the Lord, it's all about him. He gets the honor, he gets the glory, for he alone deserves it. Or Romans 14.4 says, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own mastery stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I love that verse. Love that verse. Boy, we, all of a sudden, when it becomes about our effort, it becomes about us, and, it, and suddenly there's an identity crisis because now our work becomes our identity, and it's our badge. And, and rather than following the Lord and giving glory to the Lord and giving glory to what God alone is able to do, we begin to take that glory to ourselves. And what does that do? It puffs us up and we start looking down at other people. Look at us. We're better than you. Or you, you don't measure up spiritually the way we do. And the Lord, through Paul, is very quick to say, who are you to judge the servant of another? The Lord will make them to stand because they're servants of the Lord. Get your eyes back on Christ. Stop looking at one another and comparing. That's not from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10.12 is a really interesting verse on this. Paul's speaking of the false apostles. They were constantly coming against Paul. They were constantly using uh, unbiblical measurements, so to speak, in order to put the Apostle Paul down. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'd have loved to listen to Paul talk about this stuff. Thank God we have what he wrote, and the Holy Spirit preserved that for us. But he says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. Oh, man, I can't even tell you that just, I don't know, a thousand light bulbs goes off on this one. They compare themselves with themselves. In other words, they establish their own standards 
that are not necessarily biblical standards, and then they begin to say that they're successful because they've met their standards. And then they begin to compare themselves with everybody else and ultimately put those people down because those people aren't measuring up to their false standards. Wow. Don't we need to be careful about that? I think we do. Well, when we begin to do our own effort, what we begin to do then is take credit for what we think we've accomplished. Our success, what we think we deserve credit for. Galatians 6, 14 says it all. And there, there are so many different places you can go to on this one, but I love this verse. Paul says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Boy, do you, do, you, do you just hear the refreshing humility, honesty, integrity, Christ-centered focus in that? I, I don't want to boast in anything. I'm not going to create false measurements in order to compare myself with everybody else, put them down and lift myself up, whatever. I, I'm going to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm crucified in him because of what he did for me. See, when we begin to have a right understanding of ministry and serving the Lord, there becomes a correct understanding that it's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's not our strength, our strategies. It has nothing to do with our standing. It has nothing to do with our success. It has everything to do with him, period. And it's a privilege. It's a privilege, and it's a joy to simply follow the Lord. Let me give you the flip side of this in so many ways. His surrender, his surrender. When we talk about true ministry, and it's not, it's not a result of our effort, it's not because of what we can do, it's rather because of what he has done, what he's able to do. His surrender always involves his love, his love. He's constantly doing what's best for us. Romans 8.35 says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? What could ever separate us from the love of Christ? When we get to walk with him and we get our eyes fixed on him and we begin to follow him and what it is that he's calling us to and he empowers us in the midst of it, no matter what comes against us, God's love will always be a part of what it is that he calls us to serve him within. Always. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Literally has the idea of constraining us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. See, I, that picture of the love of Christ controlling us. When we're saying yes to the Lord and walking with the Lord, then the Lord himself, his love begins to be a good and righteous boundary around our lives. We do what we do because we get to. We do what we do because it's an honor to. We do what we do in serving the Lord because it's a privilege. And we don't want to go that way because the Lord loves us so much that we want to walk with the Lord. 
We just want to stay close to him. Even when we can't understand, even when we don't get it, even when we can't figure it out, even when we don't see how it's going to work out, we just want to stay with the Lord because he loves us so much. Ephesians 3.19 says, To know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. When we, we begin to walk in true ministry, It's not based on our effort. It is based on the Lord's surrender, and obviously with that in mind, our surrender to the Lord, but his love will always be a part of that ministry, that service. Secondly, his surrender will always reflect his lowly attitude, his humility. (laughs) I love this. The Lord is so beautifully humble. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 gives us a picture of that. He says, have this attitude in yourselves. Have this mindset in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's been all kinds of translational issues. What what he's basically saying is when Jesus Christ claimed to be God, he was not stealing identity from God. He was absolutely correct in claiming to be God. What he had done is laid aside his true identity by becoming a man and being at one place at one time in order to serve. He wasn't robbing, he wasn't stealing something from God that actually didn't belong to him. He goes on, he says, what did he do? He emptied himself, taking the form of a what? bondservant, a bondservant, a willing slave, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we walk in true ministry, it's not based on our effort, it's based on his surrender, and folks, if there's not a passage that speaks to this more clearly than this one, I don't know what passage to use. The Lord humbled himself, yielded himself to the Father, came, became a man in the likeness of man, perfect sinless flesh, went to the cross, even death on a cross, so that we could have life, that we could walk in the newness of what God has done for us and experience him, have an eternal hope not because of what we could do, but because of what he's done for us. And Paul directs us, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, this lowly attitude, this sacrificial attitude, this humble attitude. Thirdly, his surrender will always involve his leadership. It'll always be about how the Lord is leading. He has a plan. He will lead us. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the way. (laughs) I love that. There is no other way than Christ. But he doesn't just say, I have a way. He says, I am the way. I am the way. Now, that's obviously soteriological. That is talking about salvation. That is speaking to the issue of who he is, that we need forgiveness of sin. That is the idea that only through Christ can we have forgiveness and eternal life. 
because of what he's done for us. But I would suggest that that would also continue. Jesus doesn't stop being the way when I get saved. He continues to be the way, and I continue to follow him. How? By faith. He is the way. So often we're looking for a way, and we lose sight of the way. And we always got to come back to that and be reminded that Jesus hasn't been caught off guard. He hasn't been caught without a plan. He knows exactly what he wants to accomplish. He knows exactly what he wants to do. The question is, are we willing to follow him in the midst of it? Romans eleven thirty three 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. When we are depending on our own efforts, we think we can come up with something that is better or measures up, at least, to God's standard. And folks, the truth of the matter is, is his ways are unfathomable. We can't come up with them in and of our own selves, in and of our own strength. We need him in order to accomplish that. Colossians 4, 3 through 4 says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. I love that picture. Here's the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, saying, would you please pray for us that the Lord would open up the door for us to be able to walk through it and proclaim the gospel. And oh, by the way, pray for us that we would speak it in the way that we must, the way that we ought to speak it, with boldness and clarity, without fear. Dependence on the Lord, dependence on his leadership in our lives. Lastly, it's always about his lordship. He deserves all the credit. He deserves all the credit. Romans eleven thirty six 36, for from him, meaning out of him, through him, meaning what it is that he uh, holds up, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's about his glory, or Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. It's for him. We've been created for who? For him. <laughs> so it's all about him. It's all about his glory. It's about his lordship. That's who he is. 1 Timothy 1.17 Paul writes it this way, he says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let it be so. Is it for his glory? Is what we do for his glory? Does it matter whether we get credit for it or not? That's always an amazing thing. And I know you've got flesh like I've got flesh. And there are times where we do things and participate in things and things seem to have worked out well. And what do we want to do? We want credit for it. Come on, I know you do. Because I do too. I certainly don't want to be blamed. You want to be blamed? If it's not your fault? Of course not. But do you want credit? Do I want credit? If we think that we're the ones that did it? You bet. Who deserves the credit? The Lord does. 
The Lord does. Because true ministry is not out of our effort. It's out of his surrender. It's when we learn to walk with him based on what he is able to do in and through us. Paul calls himself a bondservant of Christ. In that Philippians passage, he says he's a bondservant. Jesus is a bondservant. A bondservant means a willing slave. Paul uses it in Galatians 1.10, Philippians 1.1, Titus 1.1. He, he literally uses it to express who he is and his relationship to the Lord, that he's a willing slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a willing follower of Christ. When we are willing followers of Christ, when we are bondservants, we're not walking by the flesh. The flesh always has an agenda to serve itself. We're walking by the Spirit of God, and we begin to learn to walk in his strength and in his power and, and his way for his glory, for his purpose. Let me leave you with this verse, because I love this verse. In Romans chapter 15, verses 17 and 18. I think this is, this is a mantra for all of us. This is, ought to be something that all of us recognize, and as true believers, walking with the Lord, not perfectly, we trip and stumble, we nail the couch every once in a while, and we've got to learn that we've got to go higher, whatever we've got to do. We've got to learn to walk with the Lord and yield to him. But Romans 15, 17 through 18 says, Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Boy, what a picture of a bondservant. Do you realize that Jesus is the, is the bondservant and that he lives within us and he will lead us and guide us and direct us, empower us, strengthen us. He will reveal his ways to us. We'll get to experience his peace, his patience, his love and his goodness and all that he is in the midst of it. The question is, are we still trying to do ministry out of our own effort? Or are we learning to yield to the Spirit of God? Are we learning to surrender to the Lord? Because the Lord who has surrendered, who is the bondservant, lives within us and is giving us, leading us in his ways. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 